It's like if there's a you that gives the advice and there's a you that learns from the advice, doesn't that mean there's two of you? Almost suicidal level uh, stuff because I thought I can't perform anymore and who I am is a stand-up comedian. So I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of anything, right? Like our thing of manifesting money is almost an implication that it's bigger than you. But what if you're just on a frequency where it's not this thing that completes you, you're just complete as it. Why would a person in a moment of enlightenment go to seek wisdom from uh, from a person who runs an air conditioning business? For us to really grow, it's almost like we have to let go of everything. I just follow the thing and will let go of whatever I need to, no matter what, if on the other side is more of my soul, because more of your soul will make you better at everything. I bet you're going to really love this edition of the Big Leap Podcast. We are talking with Kyle Cease, who is doing some of the most amazing work on the planet at the intersection of comedy and right now interaction and transformation. And I think you're going to really enjoy what he's doing. Mike? All right. Well, one of the things that I asked Kyle about that I'm really intrigued about, it got me thinking, is, all right, the evolution of comedy. What is creative processes? And it was completely, completely different than what I thought it would be. Kyle, what do you think the big bombshell and takeaway and reveal was in this episode? That the less effort equals more magic. And that we are we are magically we're magically held and our force is in the way of the experience of that. And if we would surrender a little more and do what Gay would call take the big leap, um, we will transcend the part of us that's trying to create something out of a fear of not being loved or abandoned or shamed from your parents and instead watches our soul make something amazing. And that's available for everybody. Yeah, if that wasn't heavy enough, you're going to love this episode. You're also going to hear how Kyle managed to get himself into the Dolby Theater, the same one the the Oscars are in. So you'll learn all that and more in this episode of The Big Leap. Welcome to the Big Leaf Podcast. This is Gay Hendricks, along with my sidekick, Mike Koenigs. Hi, Mike. Hey, it was awesome. Been looking forward to this. I think the pre-show was awesome, so uh, hopefully we can continue in the hilarity. Well, I tell you, I've been so looking forward to this. It's taken us quite a bit of back and forth to get this arranged, since all of us are super busy folks, especially our guest today. But we finally got it arranged, and I'm so excited because... I have immense respect for the work you do. I've seen you do it. And um, I'm not even going to try to tell people yet what you do. But let me ask you this way. When people come up to you at a party that you don't know them and they don't know you, and they say they read your name tag and it says Kyle Cease. And they say, Kyle, what do you do? How how do you answer that, Kyle? That's such a good question because um, it's so it's so hard to label me because yes. they, almost everything I do is in opposition to the other thing I do. Yeah. Right. So I'm 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 comedy meets transformation, and the events that I do are called evolving out loud. And the reason they're called evolving out loud is because. 
the content that's coming through is actually me coaching myself. I don't bring a bunch of prepared content that's the right thing for the people to hear. I'm literally giving myself the advice at the moment that I need it. And it comes through more authentic because I'm discovering it while I'm saying it. So if you've ever given someone advice and then you learn, have you ever given someone advice and you learned from the advice? Oh, all the time. Right? Yeah. Like sometimes you'll yeah. give people advice. They're not even asking you. They're like, I have a stomach ache. And you're like, I think you should break up with her. <laughs> and you start to realize. Well, I, I've been a therapist for 52 years. So I've cured myself of the right. habit of trying to fix strangers next to me in the airplane seat. <laughs> yes. And then, and then as you keep learning, your content gets better, but it's like, because you're getting better. But so your advice is, it's like, if there's a you that gives the advice and there's a you that learns from the advice, doesn't that mean there's two of you? Right. So the evolving out loud content is what's coming through me in the moment. And what's weird is the revelation that all day we have thoughts and discoveries and uh, we don't have to orchestrate it into one small thing. Every second we're thinking something. So we're much more like a radio with the antenna up. And our, our job is just to stream what's coming through, which kind of gets you to realize you have 24 hours a day of content if you don't sleep. You know, but then the content's going to get crappy if you don't sleep. So you should still sleep. <laughs> but um, so, but I also was a stand-up comic for 20 years before that. And uh, toured as a, a headlining comic and did over a thousand colleges and headline comedy clubs and had two Comedy Central specials. So the, those got to be kind of skills that I discovered um, in me that helped me kind of deliver this. So I'm, I'm often, you know, when people kind of try to describe me, it's, the, the, the number one thing I hear or actually said, and then people say it, so really I heard it because I said it, is uh, I'm what would happen if Eckhart Tolle and Jim Carrey had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't say as profoundly as them, but just like the idea of what they do for a living is kind of the essence of what I do. Well, I'm really glad to have you on for a couple of reasons. First of all, that's a great uh, answer to my question about who are you, because, yeah, I would have difficulty. I first knew you as a stand-up comic, and then I knew you a little bit later as a stand-up transformational comic. Yes. And now you've evolved into this whole new art form that I don't really know anybody else who's doing anything exactly like this. And so I'm really glad we can have you on. and and uh, go down the rabbit hole with you a little bit. But first, back way the heck up. We're talking about big leaps here. What was your first big leap? Going back to as far as you want to go in your life, what do you remember as your first big leap? Well, if we really want to do first, um, you know, I don't know what the most profound one is, and I guess that's all just opinion, but um, as a, as a child, as a stand-up comic, I remember a, a very vivid moment in my life where um, I was maybe 15 and I was thinking to myself, how do corp, how do, how do comics make good money? Like I was able to do clubs and do little spots, but I remember going, how do comics make good money doing this? And I went to another comedian. He said, well, corporate parties, like companies have parties, you know, and you could do that. And I remember, and he goes, he goes, you're probably too young though. And I'll, I only heard the first part and I was just like, okay, how do I do corporate parties? And then my mind just kind of put together well, there's the Chamber of Commerce as a place where business owners meet, right? So I lived in Seattle at the time and I called the Redmond Washington Chamber of Commerce at 15. And I said, can I get the mailing labels for all the businesses? And they were like, it's $75 or whatever. 
I got 500 mailing labels and I made a flyer that said, having a corporate party looking for entertainment called Kyle Cease. And I sent it out. And then the next thing I know at 15, I'm doing Sears, Nintendo, Microsoft, and all these other things. And I think they were kind of shocked that a kid was showing up. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I had a business card. I also did impressions at the time. And I had a business card that said, finally, a good Julia Child impression at an affordable price, which I, <laughs> which I now look at as funnier than then. Um, yeah. You know, like everyone's tr- scrambling to find a good Julia Child impression and they're just so expensive. Um, and so, <laughs> so, but that was like the beginning of like the revelation that it's actually incredibly easy to be successful because my mind wasn't, my mind actually hadn't developed the yeah buts that I learned more when I was an adult. I was just so second nature about how easy this was. And and my, you know, everything was just factual that it would work. And I didn't even develop stage fright till 15 years into being a stand-up comic. And um, what I realized way later was I learned how to be a comedian before I learned how to be a person mm-hmm. and associated a lot of love to what I am is what I do. And I can do this anytime and get attention and people to like me and all these other things. And so, you know, at one point my mind creatively sabotaged me. Mm. And if you're not continually creating new content or new from your edge, you could be really good at what you do, but get complacent. Mm. And if you're delivering the same content over and over, your mind will creatively sabotage you because you're an amazing genius and you're not living to your soul's edge. So I would do colleges and gigs, like I could do them in my sleep and I would have a really good set. And my mind one day was really bored. And I thought, what if you think about it enough if you could make yourself faint? And then this new thought came in, you can't not think about something. And I got really scared that I would faint when I'm on stage. And it turned into full-blown stage fright, panic attacks, almost suicidal level uh, stuff, because I thought I can't perform anymore. And who I am is a stand-up comedian. So I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of anything. And so that was the beginning of me first learning how to change my circumstances, which is when I was in this really dark place, grabbing my first Tony Robbins book and going from basically suicidal anxiety to the first moment of to shifting my thinking, the number one Comedy Central special. And that was the that was the Trojan horse into my transformation. It was great. I learned for years how to picture that you have the number one special, how to be a great whatever the next level of my shift was I started becoming this inspirational guy in the comedy scene. And I was getting attacked by people that didn't see what I was doing. And they just decided because comics are very cynical. So I was getting, you know, Kyle must be a scam artist. He's, you know, the positive stuff he's doing is just fraud stuff. And comics started passing it around. And this was the next stage where I had to learn to let go of control. Mm. So the first stage was how to shift your thinking so you can control your circumstances. The next one is how to release control. And in doing so, you actually can release the, the energy in your body that's trying to control, that associates what you're trying to control. If it doesn't happen, you're going to feel the same trauma from your childhood, right? Like, I'm going to be abandoned or unloved or whatever. So that was the second stage where I let, learned to let go of control and I kind of left a motivational stage and shifted to letting go of everything in my life that feels heavy. Mm. And then I just started vibrationally rising because 
only a false me would keep these mediocre things in my life that didn't connect to my soul. So that started in 2010. And the way that it started was I announced to the public, I'm going to go raw vegan for 90 days. And I said, and I'm, and if I eat anything cooked, my get on the island and burn the boats, as Tony would say, if I eat anything cooked, I'll give away $10,000. So this leveraged me to have to do this. Now, after 30 days, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to get so healthy. And I did. But what was really trippy was after that, someone walked by me with a hot dog and all I smelled was chemicals and metal. And I learned I just changed my taste buds. Mm -hmm. So then I started going, I literally rewired my body to, uh, to undo its addictions. And so I started going, what else feels heavy? So I said, how about no Facebook for a while? How about no dating for a while? And all of a sudden I felt this almost, it's a weird word to say, but ascension out of the habitual vest that I would wear that does these things. And, the, and a huge transformational moment in my life was 20, uh, I'm sorry, it was in 2010, about day 45 of that, where I noticed I was about to go headline a comedy club. And I thought to myself, Ugh, I don't want to go. And then I realized this is heavy. Mm. So I then developed this thing with my friend Diego, where we realized when you're letting go of something, the only reason you're stressing is because your mind can measure what you will lose and it can't see what you'll gain. Mm. And this got really exciting because whenever I felt something feels heavy in my life, if I let go of it, I'm stressing because I can see what I'll lose, but it's always replaced by a higher vibration thing. Mm. So I decided to quit my dream career of stand-up comedy. And I announced to the public, I'm not going. And all of a sudden, the next week, I would have been headlining a comedy club for like five grand. But instead, I was now at a place where I'm even higher and bigger than my dream career. Like, it's not bigger than me, right? Like, our thing of manifesting money is almost an implication that it's bigger than you. Mm. But what if you're just on a frequency where it's not this thing that completes you, you're just complete as it, it you won't believe how fast it comes to you then. Yeah. And so that week, I'll just finish this part of the story. That week, I would have been at a comedy club and my body was like, what if we combine comedy and transformation? And I remember my ego kicking in and going, well, the way you want to do it, no one's ever done that. And then my soul was like, no one's ever done that. Like, what if you do that? And so... I got my friend Diego and we made 500 videos for the college bookers that I had done stand-up at by name. So I sat there for the week. Hey, this is for Diane Johnson at North Idaho University. This is for whatever. And then other comics were like, why are you making these videos? You know, you could be headlining a club for five grand. Well, like a hundred of the colleges came back with a yes at a way higher price. And I made way more money. And then... I had an agency that was really big that kept taking 10% of it, but didn't help me with it. And my mind could mm -hmm. justify keeping them because they got me auditions. And I have a rule in my life. If I can justify keeping something in my life, I have to let go of it. <laughs> okay, that's good. Right? Yeah. Because as a, I'm a dad of a daughter who's amazing. And I've never said, well, she gets good medical, so I'll keep being her father. Or, you know, what I do for a living, I don't explain myself. Right. But we all know what it's like to have a job we hate and go, well, it will give me a, a bonus later. Or this person was crappy to me, but they took me to a nice dinner once. That's your mind explaining why you're ignoring your soul. Mm -hmm. 
And so when I let go of that agency based on faith alone, the next week, Jim Carrey and Eckhart Tolle's company, Gate, called me and asked me to come perform at their event. I mean, the most Kyle Cease thing ever was they combined forces. <laughs> and I did a set that was crazy. And then a bunch of producers were in the audience just offering me stuff. So once I let go of the agency that I needed to get the movies, all of a sudden the stuff just came to me. <laughs> so I started getting when you let go, it's foolproof. Every time you let go, you're only stressed because your mind can measure what you lose. It can't see what you'll gain. And then from that, unlimited content and understanding came through and the healing of trauma and this thing evolving out loud came out. And, you know, we did seven at the Alex Theater that was a 1400 seat sold out thing. And then we did the Dolby Theater where they do the Oscars. And that was insane. And um, two books, one was a New York Times bestseller. And it's all just unfolding, you know, and there's, there's no goal. It's just being present, you know? Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful example too, of what we talk about in, um, in the big leap, you know, you, you spent a long time in your zone of excellence and then mm. due to a whole bunch of influences, suddenly one day you broke through into your genius zone and now mm. you're allowing that genius zone to kind of make the decisions for you. And yeah. they take you into places where you wouldn't be able to get with your ego. There even seems to be less and less you. Yeah. Right. Because as you keep going up, the, the, the story of I is much more the yeah, but that considers the smaller story. Right. So like to give an example, I feel like we have two voices with everything. Right. The first voice is always a feeling and an inspired thing that doesn't have an example of what will happen. Right. So you could be like, what if I left this company right now? Or what if I asked that person out? Or what if we just went to Italy? It can't tell you why you should do that because you've never done that. But the feeling of the open possibility is a higher you talking to you. And whenever it shows up, you have a second you that comes up with a really stupid reason of why you shouldn't. Right. right? So the first you comes and like, what if we left this company? And then the second reason is trying to keep your old story alive. And so it goes, yeah, but if we do, uh, we won't get to go to the Cheesecake Factory party next week. <laughs> you know? And the first voice is like, dude, if you learn to listen to me, you'll own all the Cheesecake Factories in a month. And the second voice is like, yeah, but they have those Thai lettuce wraps. <laughs> and, and I always think if you've ever stayed in a relationship you don't want to be in, because you know that eventually the two of you are going to go camping, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like... So the yeah, but is the old story and the calling is the true you. And the more you follow the calling, the more the old story dissolves. And there's less and less of a you that's based on your traumas from your childhood. And there's more and more of a you that's you. I remember that happening, the yeah, but happening when I was uh, in my early 30s. One day I had a big enlightenment moment where I realized what I wanted my life to be about, my life purpose. And um, was to expand and love creativity and abundance every day as I inspire others to do the same. And mm. this idea just got such a grip on me. And then I heard this voice say, but you could never make a living doing that. Right. You know, and I realized that's my right. older brother's voice. You know, he's very practical. He's an engineer, but he also, you know, he runs an air conditioning and heating company. So when you really think about it, why would a person in a moment of enlightenment go to seek wisdom from an uh, from a person who runs an air conditioning business and 
And so right. I had to kind of fight my way through all those voices. Um, but um, that's why. And purge, purge the story of I'm just his brother, right? Like the family unit. Yeah. And, and move from being the dad's kid or your brother's brother to God's kid, you yeah. know? Sorry to interrupt. No, that's absolutely the transition that had to happen. I've, yeah. I've got two, two quick questions for you about from a creative perspective, which was from the moment, because I remember this going on, Kyle, when you made that shift from comedy and I can't remember where I saw you. It was at maybe a Jack Canfield event or something like that. It could have been. I'm not, I'm not sure. It was one of the first times. I mean, I saw you a bunch of times in a row and laughed my ass off. And I, but when you made that shift from comedian to combination, how did your relationship with comedy shift? In other words, what comedy meant to you? And did it affect the way you write comedy? Because you've always done a, I mean, you're funny as hell. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, and very insightful, and you know how to work with an audience really, really well, too. I mean, your adaptive capabilities are super impressive. And I know if I were looking at this, I'd be afraid as a comedian to lose my edge, my stage edge, mm -hmm. if I made a shift over to something that required a frankly, a different business model. Yeah. Well, the weird thing is, at first I did go through a phase for probably a year of being so much more excited of the transformational side that I did lose my comedy. And I was actually, mm -hmm. it felt like that was fine because I think that for us to really grow, it's almost like we have to let go of everything, you know, like, and just use what we need in that moment. I mean, a shift that I had in the last two years was right before an ayahuasca experience, I said, merge me with my soul, no matter what the cost. Mm. And quite a bit mm -hmm. of things happened, including COVID the next week. And so oh, I, I was like, did I do this? <laughs> like, like is, is this a mirror of me? But like, that was the beginning of like the shutdown of my ability to tour and so many other things. And in return, I got to develop my business in my house and become a much more present father of a girl who's now four and a half years old so like I gave up even my, you know, not I gave up, it was forced on me, but there was a really, yeah. really big relief in there. I was about to do some huge tours and I wonder if all of that hadn't happened, um, hmm. if I would just be this kind of, you know, at the, at the, it, I needed the patterns to scramble and to let go of these things. And when, to answer your question about the comedy, I just remember shifting and feeling like this was the most important thing in the world to share. And I don't care how it's delivered. And I remember just going to Agape the first time and seeing Beckwith talk and just getting so much more excited about that and how it was aligning so much with my soul. And um, going through probably a year that wasn't comedic. I remember the first video I put out, it was called Wake Up. And it was me like waking up and talking and and then I was like, you know, I just wanted to be like Beckwith or 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 Gay or Bob Proctor, and uh, going through these phases, uh, and then realizing the comedy's okay too. You know, like it, there, the comedy and transformation was when I first did it. 
it was, I was only seeing it as when I go to colleges, I'll be comedic for 45 minutes and then give a message. And then it, and then it became one giant merging as I really got to get what my voice is. Cause I think we all go through this phase of like, this is now my voice. And it's not this, this is the answer to life. I'm a piano <laughs> player. you know. And then, and then mm-hmm. we still go, no, I'm an unfolding magical being and nothing external is my purpose. They're all tools. And so I, it's why it's hard to label me when people say, what do I call you? I'm like the now an unfolding thing that is not defined. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just follow the thing and will let go of whatever I need to, no matter what, if on the other side is more of my soul, because more of your soul will make you better at everything and take care of everything. Right? I'm curious about something um, practical about your work now. What's the nature of your preparation for what you do now? Uh, because, you know, in a way you could say you don't need any preparation for that. You just have to show up as present. But I, I'd be interested in your experience of it. I, I Ironically, it is it is being in the moment as much as I can now. Like there isn't like I've always believed in the last 10 years, the stage just makes you two feet higher. And one of the illusions we can get under as speakers is I'm my I am a speaker and that defines what I am. And it's the other way around. It's what I am here. And then the speaker, like, like, there's no real starting point when you go on stage where that's an illusion. And so you can bring such an authentic you by understanding that the real preparation is all of life. So it's very, very, I find that I'm in a place where when I'm making a video, if I already pre know what the talk is or the title is, um, I have a really that's hard time okay. with it. Because it because it puts a foot in the now that 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 a bookmark that I have to do what I decided a couple minutes ago, but if I can go on with no expectation, I remember doing an event, and right before I went on, they said we need you to make it really funny, and I actually felt suddenly enslaved because I don't know what the hell's going to come through, and all of a sudden I'm not trusting God, I'm trusting mm-hmm. what you want. And I, that, that was a big teaching lesson for me and an amazing evolution is like, I'm going to be what I am, you know? And, um, but I always find like, if I'm trying to make a video about a topic or even like any type of advertisement, like come see me at this event, I'm terrible at it because the unfolding of the moments, I have a story that's really trippy of a time that the universe ended up selling tickets to an event better than I ever could have with strategy. Like, so I was going to do an, an event at the Alex theater, which was 1400 seats. And it was a few days before that. And I had this calling in me. What if we did the Dolby theater, which is 3,400 seats where they do the Oscars. Yeah. And I felt in my body this, I want to, we called the Dolby and found out it would cost like this crazy six figure number to rent it. They'd need a deposit that was like a huge chunk of money. And now I had the two choices. Like I want to do the Dolby Theater. It would expand my soul. And then I felt the yeah, but, right? And I just felt the two and said, let's do it. And when I stepped into the let's do it, the energy in my body changed from a guy who wants to do the Dolby Theater to a guy who does the Dolby Theater. And when I stepped on the stage three days later at the Alex Theater, the force that came through me, because I'm now someone who acclimates to doing a 3,400 seater, was so big that out of joy, I just mentioned we're doing the Dolby Theater. 
And out of nowhere, everyone in the audience started running to the back of the room, but we didn't have anyone there to sell anything. They were so excited by the fire that was talking that the audience left me in mid-talk to go buy something that we hadn't <laughs> put for sale yet. And my, I, had to, I had to call a stop to the talk, have my team run out there. And to at the moment, there were 1,250 people in the room. We sold 1,700 tickets to the Dolby Theater. We sold 1,700 tickets to 1,250 wow. people. So we had a 130 or whatever percent conversion with no strategy because God has more strategy than anything we could figure out. That's one out. of those moments where you say, hmm, I might just be in the right line of work right about now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's such a byproduct of you expanding your soul and not thinking there was no mentality of how do I get more sales? It was just, it was the match to my leap, right? It was the yeah. match to the big leap. It was like, like, hey, I'm going to get the Dolby Theater. And we paid ourselves back that minute. And then it was very easy to yeah. fill the rest of the seats. So we made a huge profit. And then we made a video series out of it. That is a two-day event that we sell for $20. And we just sell a ton of it to people and it's paid for itself forever. And they start to go, man, if I hadn't leapt, I would have lost a few million dollars. Well, congratulations on delivering a really fine product and also having uh, some good business sense uh, in yourself and around you that allows you to take over some of the functions that you used to have to outsource through agents and things like that. Yeah, that's the other thing is the more you go, go up that ladder, the more you, you really need less. You need less negotiation and agents and too much production. I just put out a video today I made on my phone. It's doing better than some that I've spent like a half a year on. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> like they want simplicity, man. True that. Well, I've got one more um, creative question for you about just about your process, your joke writing process, because it's mm. something like you've... Um, you know, I recently watched the Beatles' uh, latest documentary on Disney. I think it's fantastic. Again, I talked yeah. about it in a previous episode. Get back and, you know, you get to see the Beatles composing. You can see how they matured from 14-year-old to about 30. So let's yeah. call it roughly 15 years of becoming the superstars that they were. And you watched um lennon and mccartney as they collaborated and composed but you're effectively a soloist so can you walk us through your evolution as a joke writer as a creative do you have a system do you have a discipline that you follow or let's pretend you had a show or you're putting something together how do you do what you do right now how have you evolved and become a better creator so the best way I could answer that is, first of all, when I was, when I was 12 and had started stand-up, you know, then I was like, I'm going to write some jokes. And then I went up and, and delivered the jokes that I had written or collaborated with funny friends and, you know, put together and started. But what ended up really happening is I went up so much that most of the jokes that I ever said kind of wrote themselves spontaneously from going up so much. And there, there was a very little, I'm going to now write a joke. But I can tell you many, many, many times, if I'm just riffing with a friend and I'm funny, like right before we started, I know we were doing a, a couple of things. It could be very like me in my 20s 
to just grab a recorder because it's the vibration of the joke in that moment. Mm. You know how you'll hear like a you had to be there moment like that, like you'll say something so funny and then they're not there. That's because it's not the joke Mm -hmm. that's funny. It's the vibration of it. Like there are some jokes that are funny, but there's a reason why it was so hilarious in one moment. And then when you try to tell someone about it, they're not laughing. Mm-hmm. It's because we're under the illusion that the moment was what was so amazing that that joke formed in. And it can be totally out of context in another moment, because in that moment, new jokes are trying to form or new things or experiences. And that's the same with everything. You want to feel the same high from a past relationship now, but you're supposed to feel the low you're in now or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so in my 20s, uh, I, would, I went up every night almost. Like I, I really did like so many colleges I did. I I was constantly on the road and I, at one point would just be able to deliver. And then sometimes an accident would happen. Like I would misspeak and then develop material around the misspeak. And then Mm -hmm. later I would unpurposefully make an accident and then create that thing and create all these tangents. And so I started at one point just having a ton of material just because I went up so much. It was just a byproduct of going up so much. It was very rare. It did happen, but it was very rare that I'd be like, I'm going to write a joke because it, in those moments, it wasn't God. It was effort and force and uh, thinking that, you know, the ego can write it nearly as well. And, you know, so we, I have this membership site right now and I speak on Sunday and I speak on Wednesday. And then I do a ton of one-on-ones too with people. And I find that so many amazing moments happen, whether they're transformational or funny. And then I often just make a video about it so that it's tracked and documented as a joke or a content. And it turns out that, you know, I've had jokes that came out like headliner level in the, like all the way developed. I've done 10 minute bits based on the frequency I was on that were ad-libbed in that second. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? More than I could if I was like, now a 10 minute bit. And it's funny because, you know, I started doing events that were two days to six days. And doing six day events, you're speaking for eight hours a day. I mean, I remember as a comic when we were all like, man, can you believe George Carlin would do a new hour special every year? And then at one point I'm like... (laughs) I just did six days, but it's not, but it's, (laughs) you know, it wasn't the same structure that he did that was incredible, but it was like, you start to realize if you undo all that pressure, you have unlimited, every person has crazy unlimited content, but they Mm -hmm. might cut it off by trying to come up with the right content, right? What, what will sell is suddenly, you know, bigger to them than what's here. Right. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I want to um, I want to appreciate you for what you're doing. I said earlier that I think it's kind of unique what's uh, what's coming through you right now. And I want to say to all the members of uh, our audience, either on uh, video or audio, I want you to go look for Kyle Cease because he is doing some of the most unusual stuff on this planet right now. It's uh, <laughs> it's life changing. And I think you make a good case for it being world changing in a way because you're doing something in the world of media that I don't see anybody else doing. So I want to just uh, give you immense support and appreciation for that. And I know you don't like to sell things, but tell us where we can get all this stuff of yours. Well, that's that's first of all, that's really an insanely huge honor because I love you both so much and respect you both. And I think you're so amazing at what you do. And um 
just anything thinking of what I'm doing as awesome is so about <laughs> the egoically take it, you know, thank you very much. Um, and, and, and that, to answer your question about uh, selling, I always created a rule with myself that if I need to get to a strategy of how to sell it in my mind, uh, then I might not have, it, it might not be as much me coming through, right? So I, I remember thinking to myself, how do I just truly create an unreal amount of value for almost nothing that still pays all my bills, but can create massive impact, right? And um, so I created this thing with teammates a few years ago called the Absolutely Everything Pass. And I have this both blessing and curse of believing very much and knowing that every single person, I don't kind of get them to how much money can you make or how do we sell this? It's much more, I see every person as having Oprah level, Mr. Rogers level, Prince level, Michael Jackson, their own unique version of them that's as amazing as those other people. They're, like, I believe everyone is a Gandhi. Everyone is a Martin Luther King. And often we're trying to strategize and do it the right way and missing out. And so I get excited to bring everyone to their most unique version of themselves. So like an, a quick example of that is that you could have someone I'm doing a one-on-one -on -one with and they're going through this thing. Like I've worked with a lot of guys on their shame because I have a lot of shame in my body, right? And we feel shame in our body and I can help them bring that out. And then they finish that and they go, I got to figure out what my book's about or how to sell it. I'm like, what if you brought your story of shame to the light? Because what constitutes everyone else's pain is the belief that they're alone in it. And then when you have someone like Brene Brown release the power of vulnerability, which was her like vulnerability, it's a New York Times bestseller instantly because it's that authentic place. So that's what I'm about is helping people find this unique version of themselves that is so much more second nature and effortless, right? It, I can't do this with effort. And, um, and so we have this thing called the absolutely everything pass. That's literally $29 a month. You can cancel anytime. And because there's literally no control over it, like you can just join, you can come in, you can leave. Almost nobody leaves. And what we do is we have this, you know, we do a live call every Sunday that is a guided meditation. We had David yeah. Rico on yesterday. Do you know who he is? I thought, I thought, and Gay, and I'd love to have both of you on any of our stuff, by the way. Um, but David Rico did a talk yesterday with me and it was just crazy. And he joined on the, the oneness talk. And then um, we do a different event every day. I have someone else that hosts a meditation Monday. Day on Tuesday, everyone riffs what's totally possible and they come out of it really high. And then Wednesday, I bring people on and shift them live and the people can chat in a group. And it's ascending their vibration. On Thursday, we have breath work. And then we have all of my old events that I used to literally sell for thousands of dollars, just totally stacked for free in there and they can just watch it. My only pain about it is people, because it's so cheap, <laughs> don't know how good it is <laughs> until they, you know, there was 29 bucks a month. So it's like, well, I used to sell it for a thousand, right? And, and you can go in there and shift your life. And then we also do live two-day events from it. So it's, it's, you know, we'll do two day events that we used to sell for a ton. And instead it's an online two day event that, about money, about your belief system, about whatever. And your vibration rises while you're laughing your ass off and you're supported by a community that's all raising their own vibration. 
So the absolutely everything pass is insane. And then, you know, from that, I also do some one-on-ones and that's, it's simple and easy and that's all we're doing right now. And uh, where, where, where can people look for that? If they want to get an all day, everything pass. Yeah, uh, that, that's absolutely everything.tv. And then also, if you forget that, you can just go to kylecease.com. And then also, just so you know, on YouTube, there's probably 500 videos out, you know, so you can watch me on YouTube and I'm putting one out every other day. I put a bunch of daily ones out on the Absolutely Everything Pass and it's really exciting, you know, it's just, it's just me shifting myself and bringing it out. So <laughs> it changes dimensionally as we keep going, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be doing it. Great. I've got all those of the show notes, so you'll be able to get everything, absolutely everything.tv. And then I've got all your social links in here as well. So that'll show up. Well, thank you so much, Kyle. This has been a great pleasure. It's going to be very beneficial and useful to our audience, too. I really wish you well with everything you're doing. Yeah. Thanks a ton for sharing with us. Yeah, yeah. I am honored to be with you guys and and hope that came through the way you were looking for and that it, it feels good because it feels... If I see, I got all inspired from our talk, <laughs> like all excited. So that's evolving out loud, right? This revelation of you're, you're on, on course. So I hope everyone else felt that, you know, and, and I'm honored to be with you guys. Truly. I'm honored. I, I love you both a lot and I've known you both a long time. So it's really fun. Well, thank you. And thank you for spending a lot of your time in your zone of genius. Now, Gay, do you remember the, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember a talk you were doing? It was you, Bob Proctor, Mary Morrissey. And Kenny Loggins. And it was probably uh, yeah. 2007, maybe, 2006. Do you remember this? Maybe 2000. I do. And you had a manager who's kind of a short, stocky guy? Yes. My manager, Norm. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, well, at the time, I actually came to that event as a, as a participant. And I stood up and asked Kenny Loggins a question and ended up as a participant riffing for a minute. And I don't remember the specifics of it. And I was like, you know, I'm honored to be here. And I, and I said to Kenny Loggins, I don't mean it in a gay way. And I was like, well, you're gay. Not you. You actually are. And it was this riff. And you were all like laughing so hard. And I remembered having this moment so well that it was just so fun and funny. But that was my first moment ever knowing you. And then, and then we spoke right. together at another Mary Morrissey event, I think. And then on PBS, too. Forgot about that one, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, we were in you, we were in uh, New Mexico in Santa oh, Fe. Oh yeah, maybe yeah. 2016 or so, 2017 maybe. So yeah, and and Michael, I remember being at your event and getting a ton out of it, yeah. you know, and just being. We were at a mastermind together. Uh, That's got to be what it was. Yeah, I remember Ken Cragen spoke at it. Jim Quick was there. Gail Kingsbury. Yeah, that would That's have where been I met you. Larry Benet, the connector, and um, uh, probably maybe it was, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I definitely remember Ken Cragen. Um, man, that is, and you turned on. You've yeah. got a great memory. You have a great I memory. Remember, I'm very impressed. Michael Drew was there. Uh, yes, and I, yeah, I remember the whole thing. And then I, it was a mastermind. And then I met you there, and then came to your like much more intimate marketing like three-day thing with norm oh yeah yeah that's right we uh i think we we tried to figure out how to create a product and i don't remember where it went it, it, it didn't evolve like i thought it would but i think my first impression this was before you entered into the product creation world i was like man i see a product here and i think the 
vision I had that I remember now was bridging that gap between marketing and comedy. And um, uh, to me, I think that really is magical. They're ve- but, but the truth is, it takes off so much work and commitment and discipline to work on comedy and be able to do it. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I think it was a little too ahead of its time. Um, oh, we should make something now then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's have a conversation. I'm, I'm uh, very intrigued. I, I, um, I think we had, I, I did an interview with Roger Love not that long ago. And um, he's, you know, does voice stuff. And it's like the magic, but it does. It just requires the, the discipline. So I'm always ears. I'm always ears. All right. Well, let's, uh, everyone, you know where to go. Thanks for the uh, update. And um, I like reminiscing as well. You bet. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Honored to be here. Thanks, you guys. Bye.